Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1960. The album is originally entitled Thank You Music Lovers, later reissued as the best of Spike Jones. The artist, as you can guess, is Spike Jones. My guest is Evan Schletter. Hello. We are here. I'm not going to say uh, thank you for being here because I keep doing that. This is your studio. <laughs> I'm acknowledging this is your studio. Thank you for uh, pampering me and giving me nice microphones to use. Oh, you're very welcome. I mean, for the hour. I mean, I'm not assuming I take these home. You're doing price. Right. I want to do this ahead of time just for anybody who's listening and not to pander or make anybody feel stupid, but this is not the Spike Jones you might be thinking of if you're a very young person. This is not the director. This is the Spike Jones who was born in 1911 and... Uh, and was a musical genius uh, in many ways. So why did, number where, wh- first of all, Evan, you do music for TV, for movies, yes. for uh, a lot of podcasts uh, uh, most folks are familiar with. Do some podcasts. I, do, I work with Paul F. Tompkins. That's my main podcasting connection yes. to the world. Of course, sure. Um, I did my own podcast for a little bit. I did six episodes of a podcast called Fantastical Musicorium, which I plan on bringing <laughs> back someday. But um, my main thing now podcast-wise is, is playing piano for Paul in the Spontanea Nation podcast. And I, wa- I do want to talk a- quite a bit about that, just because ah. there's a lot to talk about. But uh, in so this album, when did you first hear it? Number one, I I first heard it. Now I've heard I had heard some Spike Jones and didn't really know what it was, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize I didn't know. You know, it's one of those visceral things. You kind of like, oh, I've heard that stuff with the guns going off. Yeah. But the first time I heard Spike Jones and knew what it was mm-hmm. was on my 21st birthday. My dad sat me down to give me a birthday present, uh-huh. and he put on the very first track on this album, Cocktails for Two, <laughs> which starts off straight, uh-huh. and, uh, oh, what uh, what is it, what are the words? Uh, what a delight to be given the right to be carefree and gay once again. It's all basically like, we're going to be civilized drinking. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into it. <laughs> you know, it goes nuts. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. good. What the fuck is this? <laughs> and I was a, let's see, that was... 1987. Mm-hmm. That's how old I am. <laughs> I was 21 then. Um, please, no one do the math. Anyway, <laughs> I uh, I was like, what is this? And yeah. my dad was like, it's Spike Jones and his City Slickers. And I'm staring at this album cover and like listening to these tracks. And I just was like, this is the greatest. <laughs> and so at the time, I was in like punk rock bands and stuff. Okay. And not only that, I was the guy with the station wagon. So mm-hmm. I was everybody's ride all the time. So, of course, I immediately, again, dating myself, put this album onto a cassette so I could play it in the car. Yeah. And it did not leave for ages. And so every time I'm driving around all my rocker and punk rock buddies, (laughs) I was just listening to this stuff. It started off the novelty comedy of it. Uh And then it was just like I enjoyed it as music, period. Mm -hmm. Which for a lot of people would be like, how much, you know, sugar cereal did you eat listening to this stuff just as music? Right. But it's great. The the arranging is, is great and like... The level of musicianship for them to play some of this stuff as fast as they are and as mm-hmm. crazy they are and as goofy as it is. Yeah. Um, so I just loved it. And so, yeah, I drove, drove all my friends crazy. They like, they get, okay, I'm getting a ride from Evan again. And it's like, oh, God, were you going to listen to this? Some people liked it for a while. And it's yeah. like, really? You're still listening to this? Right. Well, I mean, that's why I feel like people call stuff novelty so that they don't get too attached to it. Because, like, this is, this is, but I'm one of those people who can re listen to novelty over and over again if there's this much skill behind it. Yeah. You know? Um, and actually, one of my first notes here is that it's kind of punk um, because this, he is satirizing just the shit of the day that people loved. Yeah. But using, like you say, it's 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 not throughout. It's the beginning. It's it's a bait and switch. A lot of it is that. I think um, my understanding is I think he started 
I think his first single or whatever, the first recording was mm-hmm. Der Fuhrer's Face. Yes, yeah. And then so he did still blatantly silly stuff, and then he actually split off and had another orchestra mm-hmm. to do more serious music because he's like, I don't, I do, I can do more than this jokey stuff. Mm-hmm. But then he would he would combine it like a lot of stuff on this record has that where it's the bigger orchestra with the yeah. city slickers. Yeah. So it starts off with the full lush arrangement, and then it switches, <laughs> like you say, it does the bait and switch. Um, and it's really easy to overlook what happened. Comedy really gets gets the shaft in a lot of ways. I think mm-hmm. in the era that we're in now, I really do feel like comedy has gotten more respect in the last t- 10 years mm-hmm. than I think it has gotten in a long time because it seems to me that, of course, it's comedy, so people don't take it seriously. Sure. So uh, people don't think about the musicality of this. They, oh, it's funny or it's not funny. Yeah. And, you, and you forget to judge it on the other criteria of, Wow, those guys are playing some crazy stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And what what a nice arrangement! Like you know, on this record, the the song Laura has a beautiful arrangement for the first part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if the song had just done that version, it would have been a really nice version absolutely, of Laura. You know? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it was. I really loved this record in particular. <laughs> and I, I started looking for all other Spike Jones stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, I have to say, for people who like, who kind of get that the fun of it, but don't like the novelty stuff that wears off uh-huh. there's another cd collection called riot squad okay and that's the one where it's more just the energy without so many gunshots okay and stuff. okay okay and All it's right. a lot of different songs um but it's it's also really good it makes it's uh. but it's a it's a lot more of the uh just that kind of fast-paced energy and fun of this stuff but yeah with not, not so much crazy breaks of Things breaking. And yeah, yeah. You know, it's the funny thing is after four years of doing this podcast, four and a half, this is the first Spike Jones record we've done, which shouldn't be the case. Uh, I mean, we've talked enough about Weird Al and the influence is obvious. Uh, I interviewed Dr. Demento and then Peter Shickley, who uh, is also known as PDQ Bach, both big Spike Jones guys. And you kind of would think it would come up more often. What? You you were the only guy that you knew who knew who Spike Jones was. Right. Does he come up like you know more than enough comedians? I mean, is this something, or do you or musicians like? Does it ever come up in your conversations with uh, people? I think, in, interestingly, not, not that much, but yeah. uh, I would say probably more with musicians than with comedians. Mm-hmm. In my experience, yeah. it's been other guys in bands. There've been a few people who are like, "Oh yeah, I love Spike Jones. That's totally cool. That's awesome." And uh, but comedy wise, I don't know. Too many comedians who would like listen to this the way they would say like sure. the classic Steve Martin albums that right. made them want to get into stand up or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I can see that because if you're a comedian and you're doing actual stand up comedy, mm-hmm. you're not going to listen to a Spike Jones record and go, "That's what I want to do." Right? No, of course not. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna have been influenced by George Carlin and Lenny mm-hmm. Bruce and all these other people where you're where you're relating on a more direct level to what they're doing. Sure. Yeah. Um, and strangely for me though. At the time I was getting into Spike Jones, mm-hmm. I didn't really, I didn't even consider myself a comedy guy per right, se. Right. You know, I kind of ended up in this field. I, you know, landed a job doing Mr. Show when I, you know, first came to LA and mm-hmm. I've done mostly comedy for my living. Mm-hmm. But um, that's not really what I set out to do and that sure. wasn't my main musical influence. I mean, this was a musical influence, obviously. Yeah, but, but it wasn't like, I'm going to do comedy music and right. I liked it and I did some, but mm-hmm. it just kind of, oh, I'll do that for fun too. But, I was a film score nerd mostly, and, okay. and punk rocker, of course. So I was course. in my punk bands playing, playing that, and then uh-huh. um, also really loved film scores and classical music and stuff. Where did you grow up? Uh, Berkeley. Oh, okay. 
uh, what did your so was this uh, at 21 to learn about Spike Jones for the first time? Did your dad ever introduce you to other comedy or other stuff like that, or was this like a new thing for you two? That was a new thing because. From my dad, I knew he was uh, he was a New York uh, Bronx specifically kid. Mm-hmm. He grew up in the Bronx. Okay, I went and saw that movie, uh, The Wanderers, with him, and he's uh-huh. like, "That's my old neighborhood." Like That's half awesome. that movie was shot where my dad grew up. Yeah, and so he was very much like the fi- the fifties music. Mm-hmm. That was the stuff that he was exposed okay. to as a child, and and so I kind of got that from him. But um, he never pointed me much in the way of comedy, except for. There was one in in fourth grade, I think it was. I was in a class where we heard Tom Lehrer. Okay. And uh, they played the song Pollution. And uh-huh. I came home singing that. And my parents were like, oh, we have that record. Awesome. You have that record? And they had That Was the Year That Was. Oh, they so never good. played it around me. But I went, yeah. can I borrow this? And mm-hmm. I just played that thing. And as a little kid, half of his references I wasn't yeah, even of getting. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so I, that, was a, that was actually way before Spike Jones. But that was that was... An unintended influence they had. They happened to have that record. Right. And they had some Lenny Bruce albums, so I, I later got into those. So that was sort awesome. of my early comedy vinyl. But this was the first time he had kind of actively, you need to hear this guy. That's you know? so good. Do you know, why was it, was it, did he tell you why he gave it to you? Like, was it boiling over? Like, I want to know, like, where, like, all of a sudden Spike Jones, when you're 21 and he knows you're doing punk music. Yeah, I think uh, he saw that, because the band that we were in was this band called Quickway, and we okay. were not a serious punk band. Okay. We were a goofball, obnoxious punk band. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think he saw that kind of dumb sense of humor that I had. Mm-hmm. And so I think he just kind of put two and two together. And then he, I, I honestly think it was as simple as he thought it would be really funny to play Cocktails for Two, my first legal day of being able to drink. Someone sharing a delight There's some bad and cocktails for two As we enjoy a cigarette uh, That really, I think, was the, the big thing. That's so perfect. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, you know, I mean, at least you're blessed with the brain to appreciate it at 21. There's not a lot of people I don't think would necessarily... But, I mean, there is also that just like, what, the, like you said, the what the fuck moment, which we yeah. have with a lot of comedy that we love. Yeah. It's the same with people who fell in love with Monty Python. They're just your brain shits like you yeah. don't know what happened <laughs> um the, you know i was listening to it and like the after uh interviewing pdq bach i'm just gonna keep calling him that because nobody knows the name his real name um uh like the the racing instrumentals is one big thing that like that he also did like he did a whole bit where um the uh they're doing where, where they're doing um oh shit uh they're calling a fight but the fight is uh instruments 
Ah, you, I don't know if you uh, heard the Spike it. Jones version. No, or uh, no, PDQ Bakhtin. Oh, yeah, and uh, that one I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it's uh, I can send you a clip. It's it's really brilliant, but it's the same kind of thing where there's just like these virtuoso mu- musicians, right? That, and he'll do it. He'll assign it to a group of people. He's a professor too, who uh, you know who know what the hell they're doing. But he's like, no, you got to play this as fast as possible. Right. <laughs> but like also just following these. I mean, do you? I, I, I'm, I'm just interested if you've ever done anything similar. Like, have you ever taken something, like, super traditional and then tweaked it? Uh, I've done a bit. Well, like, I did for uh, – Paul Tompkins did this show, Variatopia, mm-hmm. Largo. And the closest thing I've been able to do to I, – I had the fantasy of, like, doing some crazy instrumentals, especially live, I think. It could be really fun. But mm-hmm. I, the closest I came to doing a Spike Jones-esque thing – was uh, last year, and this actually might go up on YouTube. I don't know when this will come out, but it mm-hmm. might be up by then. I think they're putting it okay. up July 4th. A couple weeks this will come out. So I think this video is going to apparently go up July 4th. Okay. Um, but it was a medley. Uh, it was a Jaws medley. And I'd done it on piano years ago for okay. the old Paul F. Tompkins show. And so now we were working with an orchestra with three horn players, guitar, bass, mm-hmm. and me. And so I thought, oh, let's try this again, but with more of a band. Yeah. So it goes through different Jaws references okay. and stuff that's not just in the Jaws score. but mm-hmm. um, And it's not full-on Spike Jones, but it's a lot of stuff that's very Spike Jones-esque. That's awesome. Thing. So, that, so that was one of the times I got to do it. And then I got to do a direct Spike Jones thing for Mr. Show, one little 20-second so cue. I love it. They were doing a uh, – it was like one of those record ads. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so one of the things was Spike Jones and so – it was a 20-second Spike Jones. That's so good. Was right. it literally Spike Jones? Did they give him another name? Because I know they gave Dr. Demento another name. <laughs> right. Well, this one, I think they go ahead. They went ahead and said Spike Jones. And oh, for the life of you know, this is my poor brain. I'm trying to remember the full premise of the sketch. I okay. think it was a thing where it wasn't a record collection for you. I think it was like Bob's character wanted you to send him <laughs> this music or something like that. You know, I'd like to hear some Beethoven. That's fucking great. Um, or something like that. It was some <laughs> weird twist on those record ads. and uh, But one of them was Spike Jones. And, mm-hmm. and he just called him Spike Jones. And so it was a All right. goofy <laughs> cue of that. It was one of my favorite cues because it was, you know, probably too close. I guess I, I was also influenced in terms of the parody stuff by the Ruddles. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, so um, good. So good. And now, so I've I've had, one of the things is you get into the sort of copyright stuff sure people like weird al Mm -hmm. they do it above board fully legally he takes the songs he secures the rights to them makes Uh a new derivative work under license Mm -hmm. from the original artist what we would do on mr show is everything was supposed to be a sound alike yeah yeah yeah. daffy mal yankle yankle it wasn't an actual (laughs) it was an original song that was from a mr show episode that Mm -hmm. was supposed to have gotten famous enough that weird al would have done it Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like you're covering one of his original songs or sure. covering something else. So the Spike Jones was a Spike Jones sound alike. <laughs> it's not, you know, I didn't do Chloe or something sure, else. Sure, sure, sure. But it's blatantly sounds like it. Yeah. And so I was happy that I was able to sort of sound like Doodles Weaver when I gargled right. and <laughs> yes. did the, you know, stuff that he does. I love that stuff. Um, so, but I don't know now if that would hold, you know, the 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 laws have been. Right. Pushed around a little bit, I think, of late. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, you know, it's a good point, too. Is if you listen to some of the Spike Jones stuff and then just reading about all the people he pissed off by making fun of them. Like, right. Because I, I, you know, and uh, sometimes, like, they get pulled because they were the same, like, 
they were also RCA recording artists, so they're like, we don't want this part in the song, so they cut it. Um, and he's in an interesting position because he's not doing what Weird Al did. He's sure. not writing new lyrics. No, yeah. He's basically just doing a cover, which you're allowed to do. You yeah. just have to pay. Mm-hmm. But they can't stop you from doing a cover. Right. And I don't know how far you have to change it for it to become a new derivative work instead right. of a cover. Yeah. So there's that. But it's funny that, yeah. What, what's interesting is when you think of that time, I think most people, most people, if they got covered by Weird Al, would not be pissed off. They'd mm-hmm. be like, now I've really made it. Absolutely. Weird yeah. Al did our song. Right. And I think people would consider it real flattery. And, you know, from our standpoint now, you look at these Spike Jones tracks, and it doesn't seem at all like he's saying, these people are idiots. What no, a terrible yeah. song this is. It's just a silly version of it for fun. Yeah. And as... Most comedians know you, most things that get parodied most of the time, not always. Mm-hmm. It's out of love. I mean, sure. that's why there's a million Star Wars parodies. It's not these Absolutely. people hate Star Wars. Sure, taking apart the take, taking aside the first the, the episodes one through three sure. arguments. Sure, but for the most part, they're doing Star Wars because they want to just they wish they could be in that universe longer and Absolutely. they write sketches about it or something. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a lot of the Spike Jones stuff. These right, are, that's the other thing I loved about. Listening to Spike Jones is it's a it's a it's like the backdoor window into the past. Instead of just yeah. going straight up, listening to the hit parade from the right, past, yeah, you're getting it through the parody. So these were all big hit songs in their day, sure. And so uh, that's a whole interesting crossover too. Mm-hmm. Um, this makes me want to look up, you know, everything that that it's based on because I, I really I know that there's a gag here, but I want to know specifically what that gag means. You know, et cetera, right, et cetera. Et cetera. And it's again, you not only he's not only obviously a lover of music, but again, just to point it out again, just brilliant musician. Like, yeah. Uh, or, you know, it, so well put together. And they sound gorgeous, too. That's another thing. These recordings are really, really nice. Yeah. Um, it's really. Uh, and it's all like this is all recorded in the, this collection, I guess you said, came out in 1960. 1960. Yeah. But mm-hmm. these recorded, like Der Fuhrer's Face, obviously mid 40s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was 42. It was, it was the first thing that he recorded. Yeah. Which is crazy. So, um, so a lot of these recordings are probably, you know, between 42 and probably what, 55 or something. Yeah, I would imagine. I think so. is when most of this stuff uh, came down. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. The recordings sound great and. It's a really fun record. It was kind of interesting, too, because I was just just reading that uh, right before he was getting ready to do this, the American Federation of Musicians went on strike. Uh, you could do no commercial recordings for two years, but he got around it because you could do stuff for radio, and then he ended up landing plenty of gigs on radio. So ah. if you got a record based on something, I guess, either recording of what you did on the radio or based off something, it's a very weird, complicated thing. Uh, it was a little loophole that he squeezed through. Yeah, there. but it was a two-year gap where people weren't making any commercial, which is insane. Wow. Which I guess might explain, which is weird, too, right in the middle of the war. You know, right. like, which is, it, 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 it's just kind of crazy. But this is, it's also a great song. I know this song from, there's a Disney cartoon called Der Fuhrer's Face. Yes. Which I don't think is this recording. I think they re-recorded it for that, if I'm not mistaken. That, I'm not sure. I th- but that's it's pretty early while. on. I don't know if they mm-hmm. did the same recording or not. Yeah. I, it, I don't think it is, though, right? I, I think, don't I, think I, so. I should know. I used to be, like, this big Disney expert when I was a teenager, but I can't remember. But it's 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 a great little simple song. Yeah. You know. Just a lot of raspberries. Yeah. It's <laughs> fucking great. Um, let's see. Uh, and then uh, let's see here. Apparently Mike Wallace was an announcer on his show, which I find interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mickey Katz, who is 
eventually kind of better known as his own comedy musician and also grandfather to Jennifer Grey, uh, which is, uh, I had no idea wow. until recently. Grandfather to Jennifer Grey, so father to Joel Grey. Uh, it's a weird family. Wow. Because right? it was all ethnic comedy, and then Joel Grey, this lauded Broadway, you know, uh, performer and then Jennifer Grey in Ferris fucking Bueller. Like it's a very like it's may, I guess it logically does make sense generationally that they yeah. would be these people. But like Mickey Katz's shtick was very weird, and then just to go to his legit son's like wonderful, gorgeous career. Right. Um, that's for another episode. But um, so I guess we could we, let's we can start you know just track by track and go sure. down like you know what you uh, you know. Well, the opening track on this one was Cocktails for Two, which of yeah. course that was the big. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first bait and switch, mm-hmm. um, which was really fun, you know, plays it straight and goes nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Tell Overture is the one with uh, Doodles Weaver basically uh, doing the announcing for a horse race. That's so good. Um, which is really funny. Yeah. And uh, they do a good, the organization of this record's good too because they go into Dance of the Hours as the second to last track, which has a callback. To the William Tell Overture. Plenty of room, assault is passing battery, assault battery! Notary so Jack is fourth, and in last place by ten lengths, I believe it is, yes it is, Fiedelbaum. Around a turn, heading for home, it's two tan and dog biscuit and girdle in the stretch. Flying Sylvester is third, and mother-in-law nagging in the rear. Oh, oh, oh! And now they come down to the wire, and it's number one, and now number two, and it's very close it'll either be a photo finish or an oil painting and now Lewis leads with a left and Lewis is in there slugging and it's a battle and now they're tearing hair there's hair all over the ring there's hair all over the place I don't know whose hair it is it's mine and there goes the winner <laughs> it's the winner of the race. That's right. That's Beetle right. Bomb, which is, uh, I know, not, I'm not ruining it. It's not a plot. <laughs> it's not an episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, so Beetle Bomb gets killed at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, he and, and what I love is in Dance of the Hours, it comes out of nowhere. It's, 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 a, mm-hmm. it's a car race in Dance of the Hours. Oh, yes, right. And then, and then <laughs> Beetle Bomb at the end. Um Chloe is one. Oh, so funny! It's just it's it's kind of my favorite for the craziness. Mm-hmm. It's the most. It's kind of the the most crazy of the craziness. Yeah, and also it has a joke that I have shamelessly ripped off for my kids constantly. Although I actually that? have credited it. I, I do these makeup stories for my kids. And mm-hmm. that, I just kind of make it up as we go along. Mm-hmm. And so there's one joke where the phone rings, and uh, hello. Oh yes, that was you don't say. <laughs> you don't say. Who was it? He didn't say, right? Just really dumb. I love that joke, though. But, uh, and then the callback. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello? You don't say. You don't say. Who was it? Same guy. <laughs> and so I, I did that in a story uh-huh. and then had the next call come in. and It was Spike Jones going, you totally ripped off my joke. <laughs> my kids are like, who's Spike Jones? I'm like, you'll know. I'll play you some. Um, There's also a voice in that uh, that 
who I believe is the same dude who has this ridiculously high voice, and it is his, I think, natural voice. He's the guy who did All I Want for Christmas is My Two, two Front Teeth, oh. eventually. But his voice that he does on this sounds just like Sister Mary Elephant from right. Cheech and Chong. <laughs> and it's the exact same voice, and I, I hope I get the chance to one day ask Cheech Marin if that's what he was doing, because it's the <laughs> same voice. Is that the, uh, hello, Chloe, what are you doing? You just got back from a girl? <laughs> that one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, so then it goes to My Old Flame, <laughs> uh, which ends up with a great Peter Lorre imitation. Yeah. And that just makes me think, it's like old Warner Brothers cartoons and, yes. and stuff where they would put the celebrities in it, and mm-hmm. it's just a really goofy, over-the-top Peter Lorre. And it kind of borders on sketch, because there's a lot of uh, talking, there's a lot of uh, spoken word in this yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, that one. And the William Tell, the William Tell Overture also, that's, um, it's ba- you know, the music basically comes to the background. Mm-hmm. The band's playing their butt off. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're really listening to Doodles Weaver talking, you know, with all the horses and all the really bad puns for all the horse names uh-huh. and stuff. Um, Those are fantastic, by the way, and him acknowledging the stupid jokes he's making, which I'm like, that's pretty, yeah, that's yeah. pretty self-aware. <laughs> I'm like up from the bunch. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> uh, then the glow worm, it's like, mm-hmm. that's another one where it's like, this. where is this song? So like, just A, just discovering this interesting song, yeah. which I guess is this German origin song, I don't know, okay. it's a pub song or something, but it's really pretty, and it's this is the one that has the soprano where she holds the note, and <laughs> turn the page, you fat head, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, then um, None But the Lonely Heart kind of reminds me of, this. I, this has to of course, it predates Stan Freeberg, but it's very mm-hmm. George Marsha. George mm-hmm. Marsha. Yes, I know. That's thing. exactly what I. Th- I kind of thought that was going to lead to something similar. Yeah. It, it's, so it's very that. Laura is great. Mm-hmm. It's a great example of his his orchestrations for the larger orchestra, and then going yeah. into the silliness. Um, Man on the F- Flying Trapeze is another Doodles <laughs> Weaver one with. <laughs> with him. All spoonerisms, right? Mostly him just not saying it right at all. Yes, him like getting twisted on the words. That's and a skill, though. Like that guy had this weird vocal just flexibility that I, yeah. just, I don't get He's at all. Acrobatics. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me think of like Lord Buckley, who was real big on switching voice sound. But like just to be able to play with the words like that, even if it was scripted, to get those fuck ups right, yeah, is weird. It's very tongue tying mm-hmm. type stuff. Um. Then uh, you always hurt the one you love. That's one of the ones that I realized I had actually heard before this because okay. early on in cable when Showtime was new, mm-hmm. uh, they showed some wrestling match and they had a promo for it and they used you always hurt the one you love as their promo. Oh, okay. So okay. when they're going, you always hurt Karanchi, you'd see footage of a wrestler tromping some guy. <laughs> so they used that whole love section it. as a wrestling promo on Showtime. So I was like, I oh, that's where I heard this. That makes me think of the masochism tango, Tumblr. It's kind of the first thing that popped into my head. Again, another kind of sounds like something that might have inspired him a little bit. Oh, right, right. The masochism tango. <laughs> One of my favorite things. Uh, Good old Tom Lehrer. Mm-hmm. We need to do some more of that on the podcast, by the way. Now, you got, I think you did That Was the Year That Was already, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we do repeat albums, and there's did, you know plenty of his. Because there's different do. perspectives, I guess. Of Absolutely. Yeah. I'd still love to know his the real, uh, I guess, according to him, he quit when, um, when Henry Kissinger won the Nobel Peace That's Prize. That's right. He was yes. basically like... Yes. Well, it doesn't get more any ironic. It doesn't get any more ironic than that. I guess my work is done. We, we could always ask him. I have his phone number. You have Tom Lehrer's phone. I have his phone number. <laughs> He's in the book. I I heard. So is he kind of a 
bitter guy about all this I've stuff? Nev- you he- know, I've never called him. I can tell you at the very least, I know I know that there's a story that, uh, what's his name? Harry Potter there. Harry Potter, what, what the, Daniel Radcliffe, he's a big fan of his. And he met him backstage once and he signed a bunch of his shit for him. So he, mu- he must be cool with some people. Ah. Uh, you know? Um, so. Because I'd also heard the sort of bitter guy thing. Sure. Yeah. Well, I... A little Gallagher thing possibly going, <laughs> but hopefully not. Hopefully not. Maybe without the racism. This is not. Uh, I, I would I, this is all just a hearsay. <laughs> I'm not saying that's no, what no, it is, no, and I'm certainly hoping it's not. Uh, <laughs> well, he could I, be the no, nicest man in the world. He he, he could be. I, I but I do. I and he could still be bitter, and maybe he's got legitimate reasons. I'm sure he does. <laughs> Again, all, he's one of those geniuses where it's like, well, all right, forgiven. <laughs> You've given us enough. His good stuff shit. is so great. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, the you always heard the one you love. Mm-hmm. That's great. oh, and that that one also has. They basically are doing the ink spots when they, the, yeah, the bait yeah. and switches. They start off doing an ink, ink spots thing and a parody mm-hmm. of them. Who I love. That's another one of those groups where I just love every everything of them. Yeah, it's just you get put in this mood, and so he does a good take on it here. How okay? How real quick though? How far back do the ink spots go? Because my brain, I I only know. I just want to set the world on fire. That's the first one that pops I thought in my they head. go all the way back to like 30s. Okay, okay. Or like late 30s. All right, that makes sense. Um, I know, I'm so musically And then they've had, why. they're one of those bands that the lineup changed and changed. Sure, and changed sure, sure, yeah. Uh, so then after that one, they put Dear Fuhrer's Face, mm-hmm. the original classic. Mm-hmm. Dance of the Hours, again, is pretty much a companion to William Tell Overture. Different yeah. music, similar shtick. Now it's... Basically, an ex- excuse for Doodles Weaver to do the imitation of the cars whipping by. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, whatever. I can't do it like he does. Um, and then, oh, the Hawaiian war chant. That's the other thing with this is um, I was also going through a phase listening to a lot of Martin Denny. Uh-huh. And, again, you get these little windows of – so there was this sort of era in America where they were discovering the exotic right. beauty of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And – in a way, you can kind of look at it as sort of this imperialist thing of like, well, we've conquered the islands right, now. We've right. incorporated them into us. And look at their interesting culture, which we'll take and make <laughs> pop music out of. Uh-huh. Um, but at the same time, it made for some really interesting Absolutely. <laughs> stuff. Which... Maybe not the most culturally sensitive. But I mean, it's not also, it's also like, it's not like a lot of shit where it's not like blatantly outright racist. It's just like, we're trying something new. Isn't well, this fascinating? This is an interesting dilemma I have with a lot of the Spike Jones stuff when they do stuff like the Hawaiian War chant. And mm-hmm. then there's one which I don't think is on this collection. Oh, it's his version of Yes, We Have No Bananas. Uh-huh. Yes, We Have No Bananas is basically racial stereotype to racial stereotype. Sure. He's got the Jewish guy going, a bagel, it's a donut dipped in cement. Okay, okay. You know, they have all those accents. And sure. There's all stereotyping is not equal. For sure. In, in my opinion. For it's sure. like. And and first of all, we don't treat it as such. Mm-hmm. Like there's stuff that has happened within the last couple of years where I'm surprised that people haven't even mentioned it. Yeah. Like Despicable Me, uh-huh. El Nacho. I mean, that's just so like. Really? I see. I haven't seen it. The so secret code to get in his thing is dun 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 dun. I mean, it's oh just super like. But, but part of it when I say that all stereotyping is not equal, mm-hmm. it's like, is it attached to? Keeping an entire group of people sure. down sure. or not? Yeah, that's <laughs> the know? hard part. Yeah, that's another. It's the other layers. Is there a yeah. mean spirited? And it doesn't have to be mean spirited to be a problem. No, no, no. I mean, not it. it, it, does, it if it's not mean spirited, it doesn't mean it's not a problem. Sure, exactly. It's not right. what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, a lot of the Spike Jones stuff has. It's just like, well, I can do this accent. Yeah. So isn't it kind of funny that I can do this accent? I've always had that same and concern. S- yeah. So where do you draw the line? You know. Uh, <laughs> 
the song Bella Note in in uh, Lady and the Tramp. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is yes. an over the top Italian guy 100%. stereotype voice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a friend of mine who calls the birds at Disneyland in the Tiki oh, Room the like racism birds. About, yes. You know, he calls oh, them the fuck. racism birds because they're know. very much like, uh, you know, they're just so. There's a point where. If there wasn't all the social inequality behind it, yeah. it would just be like, hey, this is what you sound like. This is what yeah, you 100%. sound like. And who cares? Yeah, exactly right. So it becomes a bigger thing when there's other stuff going on. Yeah. But there's a little bit of that going on in these, For sure. in these Spike Jones recordings. <laughs> sun pulls away from the shore and our boat sinks slowly in the west, we approach the island of Lulu. <coughs> spelled backwards, <coughs> ul, ul. Ah, in the distance we hear Spike Jones and his wacky wackakians. <laughs> Intent is such a hard thing to justify. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because as a again, as a person who does voices a bit myself, like I will, I love to do voices. I love to see can I imitate this. But I'm also aware that there's a few things where like I don't, I'm not gonna try that. I'm not gonna try that because there's something to tell. Like it's the same thing where like who did. who was I reading the other day who was not in any way justifying Jolson's blackface, but was explaining it in a way that was like, wow, that's a new way I've never heard it explained. That's very fascinating to me. Uh, but it's also like if, 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 if he was out there doing a shucking and jiving voice, like if he's doing a voice that you know is like, I get it. I get right. where, you know, like you get that there's a whole group of people that finds it funny just because of how it sounds. Right. I understand that. And they don't understand that what they're doing by laughing at it is contributing to a bigger problem. Right. I, I get that. And then the thing is, it's <laughs> also, it's... it's really not easily fixed either because sure. there was, uh, I was also, uh, I went through a big phase of, of early Disney cartoons, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I loved all the old Silly Symphonies. And of there's, course. There's one called The Three Little Kittens. Uh-huh. And so there was a recurring uh type of cartoon that they parodied in Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. where he comes in and you see the mother's feet come in. Yes. Uh-huh. Now what they're really what most of those really were when you look at the old Tom and Jerry's you look at a lot of the old cartoons mm-hmm. it's usually a fat black mammy oh, with yeah. like polka 100%. dot socks. 100%. And so this Three Little Kittens Silly Symphony was yeah. one of those. Yeah. Okay. She comes in and she's got that voice mm-hmm. where are those cats? You know mm-hmm. just talking like that. Mm-hmm. And so, for a while, they had a show called Vault Disney, mm-hmm. where they would pull some of these things out of the vault. And this was definitely in the sort of peak of political correct era, where they started taking cigarettes out of people's mouths oh, and stuff God, like yeah. that in the yeah, cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm watching one night, late at night, I'm like, oh, the Three Kittens is on. And so in comes the big mammy feet, mm-hmm. and here comes the most white, wonderbred voice you've ever heard going, where are those three cats? Oh, no. And so now I'm going... Okay, now that's worse because yeah. what you're saying is this is how a normal person talks. Yeah. So what's more right. racist to say 
this is how this is the normal. The white voice is a normal voice, yep. and your stereotypy voice is actually mm-hmm. a I don't know what that is. Whatever it yeah. is, is not normal. I mean, that makes it even worse. So and it's pretending like, the other one never happened. Yeah, you're a you're Wolf. a whitewashing it literally. Yep, literally. <laughs> yeah. But um, but in doing so, you add you're adding this other layer of reinforcing. You're not just taking yeah. away the history. You're actually reinforcing yeah. the idea that the white culture is the normal one, and yeah. other stuff is just other. Jesus. So it's a really hard thing. How do you? Yeah. You know, are you sp- you're going to go back through all these recordings and have them not. You know, when they do the the ink spots uh, imitation, mm-hmm. they're doing an imitation. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I think they count, call him Count Raisin. So <laughs> oh it's God. like, you know, yeah. so uh, yeah. there's that's it's an interesting issue when you listen yeah. to this era of music and this era of, uh, of entertainment in general. There's a yeah. lot of that stuff. Wow. Yeah, I, I, that's another thing too. It's like I I'm fascinated with. It's harder to find now, but it, there was a period during the Napster years where there's a lot of shit was floating around. Where people who thought they were anarchists were uh, distributing uh, banned Warner Brothers and banned Disney cartoons. Banned meaning super fucking racist. Right. And you border on sounding like a Confederate flag owner or Nazi dagger collector if you say you're interested in these things. But I'm right. interested in them from a perspective of, holy fuck, this actually happened and people yeah. did this. And it's they're really fascinating to look at. Those are the ones where, I, but like, what would you do with those? I, I guess that's why they banned them because they couldn't whitewash the whole thing. It's like fuck it. That's ten minutes that we've lost. Just, All you need, you know I, I mean? think, the best solution I've seen to these. Mm-hmm. The answer is Leonard Malton. That's all yeah, you need. Yeah. You get Leonard Malton up there yeah. to explain, you know, back in the day, these stereotypes yeah. were common. He does that on a lot of, like when they put the Silly Symphonies out there again on mm-hmm. DVD, I mm-hmm. thought, oh, are they going to ruin them all again? No, they did the smart route. They put them on the way they were, yeah. and they had Leonard Malton on cer- on the ones that had the, the pretty heavy stereotyping in yeah. them. He just introduces them and that's gives you awesome. some context. See, that's perfect. So you can preserve them as they were and put them in context. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know some of the ones you're talking about, like the Warner uh-huh. Brothers, the Cole Black and the Seven with oh, bees. Oh, God, that is dwarves. maybe the worst That's for, Yeah, that's one of the most extreme ones. Fuck, that's upsetting. Yeah. It's, it's upset. Like, there's like again, there's one thing where, like, the voice, like, seriously, when you did the voice, there's a part of my brain that's like, that's a funny voice. But then I'm like, I know what we're talking about right now. But that cartoon, yeah. if you can find it, go watch it. I hope you don't laugh at it for the wrong reason. Right. I hope you laugh at it because, like, oh, Christ, there's something wrong with these people. It still has enough, It ha- still has some standard Warner Brothers zaniness to it, but mm-hmm. it does have a lot of stuff where you're like, yikes. Mm-hmm. But it is important to see that stuff for what it was. But yeah. on the other side of it, I've always thought is, again, it gets very complex. To me, on the face of it alone, just doing accents and, and doing that, there's a part of that that should be a positive thing of we are a melting pot. Yeah. Yep. And if everyone is truly equal and being treated fairly, yeah. then it's just like you and your buddies making fun of each other. Absolutely. You know, and going, you know, whatever it's going to be. And people do that and that there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But what the problem is, is that's just not the case. Right. And so now it's compounded by. Even if the intent is exactly what you're saying, because in a right. lot of cases, that is what it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, same thing. Who doesn't love to do a goofy fucking voice? Who with their best friend, if they say something stupid, is not going to make fun of the way they said it? Right. But exactly right. There's just so much underlying that until there's something way deeper, uh, you know, approached socially, there were, yeah. Yeah, because you go that line between this is a funny voice and it's fun to do mm-hmm. to are you making fun of them? Because that, that, that's the other thing, like back to what you were saying with a lot of the artists getting offended by Spike Jones versions of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean- you could look at it that way. Yeah. That you're, you know, 
saying that my song is terrible when yep. you're making fun of it. But you can also look at it as like, well, he's doing your song. Yeah. Because he loves your song. Right. He's doing a fun version of it. Mm-hmm. And so it all depends on where it's coming from. You for know? a cover, you're probably getting some cash anyway. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> That's my favorite Weird Al story from I saw on the biography on him. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Which was there one? a rapper? He did a version. Oh, uh, Coolio, right? He did uh, the, Ama, the uh, Amish thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amish Paradise. Yeah. I loved that whole story of Hilarious. just like, oh, that son of a, ooh, look at this. I have a hit single again. I didn't even have to do anything. 100%. Okay, never mind. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, God, that's so funny. I mean, he's another, like, I feel like it's worth, are you a fan of Weird Al's? Yes. Okay, so that that's the one thing that's so obvious that I guess I never really realized that that inspiration of, like, he loves, I mean, He's a big fan of armpit farts in his in his songs. Weird Al is armpit yeah. farts and like the intrusive accordion, which is I've come to love because it's in so many of his songs. Yeah, you know I I love hearing that stuff. And I'm again I'm musically super ignorant. Can you do you know of other musicians where you've heard this influence or you've seemingly heard this influence or because I don't know. I can't think of off the top of my head of okay. people that do that like like. It's a very specific thing yeah. that I feel like the need was met until Weird Al came back. And it's like, hey, guess what? You want this again. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And he did it in his own very sure. much. It's an interesting. He didn't like like some of the stuff that I've done, like like the Jaws Man, I think, has it's very sort of like, ah, oh, you were listening to Spike Jones. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to another one, Rides of the Bus, you can see an influence there, but you wouldn't sure. directly go, you know, he's not using gunshots and stuff. Right. It's exactly. Another guy going, Bleh, instead of <laughs> that's his doodles weaver. <laughs> so right. Good. So good. Um, uh, that's still one of my all-time favorite tracks. He's it's brilliant. Done. It's, it's brilliant. So recorded in a bathroom, I think. Right. So, yeah. so fucking good. Um, I played that one for my kids a, a long time ago, uh-huh. and they just were like, "Wow, what is this?" And they, they and they haven't even heard the original song. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like that's their first exposure to that song. That's awesome. You know, the great thing about Weird Al is I'm so unhip now that I'm back to where I was at the beginning, where I was going to look up music. Now I have to do it again because I'm not up to date there was a period of about 10 years where i knew what he was parodying and i'm already too old for oh i'm this, with you on that you know what I mean? i'm totally with you on that I'm like this is great yeah. i think i've heard some of this on the radio once yeah and uh yeah so, actually you know i noticed on his last album i'm pretty sure and this is just a random side note uh that pharrell has to be the only artist who's ever been featured three times on a weird al album he's three times on there wow he's, he's in his polka he's in he wrote <laughs> blurred lines and then happy Right. So, because uh, the Daft Punk song is also Pharrell's song. So that's in the polka. Wow. I think that might be the only time there's ever been an artist three times in the same album. Could be wrong. Uh, unless you count the Rolling Stones, the Hot Rocks polka, which is all Rolling Stones songs. But I think right. it's the same song. So, anyway, for you trivia buffs out there. <laughs> um, so, let's, uh, let's see. A- okay, so actually, after you listen to this, you did you did seek out actively more Spike Jones, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I started looking for all different recordings. I wanted to hear everything. You know? mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was I was definitely kind of hooked by it. And um, I did I did some other silly recordings like it on mm-hmm. the four-track. I was experimenting with the four-track at the time. I did, yeah. you know, and uh, I just loved it. Not 
to love the Fuhrer is a great disgrace. So we pile, pile, right in the Fuhrer's face. When Herr Goebbels says, we own the world in space, we pile, pile, right in Herr Goebbels face. When Herr Goering says, they'll never bomb this place, we pile, pile, right in Herr Goering's face. Are we not the Superman? Aryan pure Superman. Yeah, we is the Superman. Super duper Superman. Is this Nazi land so good? Would you leave it if you could? Yeah, this Nazi land is good. We would leave it if we could. So, uh, yeah, I just still a fan of that kind of crazy creative arranging. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the showmanship of it, too, when you see films of, of right. them performing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really flashy and cool. Do you know when the first fully produced like uh, here's my here's my first comedy song of yours was? Can you think of like something like here's something presentable? I'm happy with this. I'm proud of it, but it's definitely a comedy work. Like a uh, that's a that's a good question. I guess uh, of my own. I mean, I uh, ah gosh, I don't know because most most of the comedy I've done is for other stuff like sure. Mr. Show and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I actually released on my own comedic stuff until just a couple years ago. I okay. did this record, the twenty, uh, the twenty uh, first century doomsday spectacular, uh-huh. that has blatant comedic songs on it. Okay, the whole record isn't that, but there's okay some. Was that um, the point though when you were comfortable to do it? Like a what? Yeah, I guess I. You know, it's well. This is a whole other sort of tangent with it, it's but fine. so I. Here I was, I was like the obnoxious punk rocker in this goofy band, Mm -hmm. and in the band I was in, I was the goofy guy. Okay. And um, when I came to L.A., and so I was kind of a spaz, really (laughs) just like, you know, obviously, if I'm listening to Spike Jones, for those of you who listen to this record, this guy listened to this just for pleasure, (laughs) you're insane. It's like, what are you, like on 50 cups of coffee or something? (laughs) Yes, I was. Uh And uh, so I was very much like the cut up. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when I came to L.A. and started uh, playing in these comedy shows, I instantly shut down because I was immediately like, oh, I'm a goof off. <laughs> these guys are comedians. Yeah. There's a difference. Right, right, right. And, and one of the big moments right before I moved down here was it's one of those classic like you're in a bar and there was a guy who was like, you're a funny kid. I can get you on cruise ships. <laughs> Here's my number. I'll get you gigs on cruise ships. You can be a stand-up comic, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right. So I thought about it seriously. Yeah. So I went home and started writing down what things that I've done that made my friends laugh and all okay. this stuff. And uh-huh. I looked at what I've got. You know, I, I can do an OK Yoda imitation. Uh-huh. I can do this, that. And I looked at it and I went, that is crap. That's making my <laughs> friends laugh. I cannot imagine an audience of people who don't know me laughing at any of this <laughs> shit. It's like you have to. I'm like, what? Wow, that's when I really realized, no, it's not that easy. You're not just going to walk up there and go, hey, here's what I did. My friends thought it was funny. No, get off the stage. And so I, re- one of the smartest decisions I've ever made yeah. in my life was, you know, the guy called me back. Hey, you know, you want to do? He was serious. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't do this. You're it's so like, lucky I that do, you I had don't, that perspective, man. I did not have any material. I couldn't say I don't have enough material. Right, right, there nothing. was not one thing. I couldn't find one thing where I went, well, mm-hmm. that would be a good joke to yeah. do on stage. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, no way. I mean, at least a funny song. I could write a funny song sure. in the context of, I mean, I guess there were some funny songs in the punk band I was in, but I never yeah. counted them as comedy songs. Yeah, they yeah. were funny punk rock songs. Of course, yeah. But we never thought of ourselves as a comedy band. Yeah. But we were goof-offs. It's kind of a difference, you know? Sure. Um, so 
like we should still be in the punk section, not mm-hmm. in blatantly in the comedy section. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, that so that so that was under my belt. Then I came down to L.A. and it's just sort of like I'm just gonna shut up and play music and let these guys <laughs> do the funny stuff. <laughs> and it really kind of changed my personality in a way. Really, I was. Just you know, hanging out at a bar, I was not the same person that I was before that. Yeah, where I was a lot more blah, you know. Right, <laughs> that's interesting. Silly and goofing off and whatever. You know, like I said, having that perspective is is lucky. I'm I like you're you're very lucky you had that perspective at how old were you? Early twenties? Yeah, yeah, early twenties. So, yeah, that's so good. So many people be sucked into it. I saved try. myself and a <laughs> lot of audience members some horrible right. awkwardness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can we can we talk about though the fact that like uh you know a lot of the stuff Paul F. Tompkins does now is scored by you but live and improvised and and has personality and character to it like where the hell does that come from Uh I think part of it is part of it is knowing him mm-hmm. and it's it's also sort of uh a lot of what I'm doing too it's it's half Listening to what he's saying and just kind of reacting, and then half just trying to stay out of the way too. Sure, yeah. Like yeah. I try to keep it light, more. I've, I've noticed sort of like, especially as as I feel like I might be wrong about this, but I feel like as Spontaneation goes along, if you listen to him chronologically, mm-hmm. I bet you the piano just gets kind of more and more sparse because <laughs> the more they're getting into it, it's like unless I really hear something that would be a great reference to put behind it, which sure. sometimes happens. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do like on occasion because I think it's fun for people to get a little Easter egg of, mm-hmm. oh, he was playing, you know, the, you know, Harry Potter when they said magic yes, or yes, whatever yes. it is. Um, so some of that I'll do. But at the same time, I don't want to do that to the point where it's distracting from yeah. what the plot that's going on that they've created. Right. So it's kind of a weird Zen space I get into of just like I'm playing and – you know, if it was a movie, there's a lot of it I would just stop. Of course. You know? Of course. But once you're kind of in, you feel like you need to sort of... I, and to me, it's always like they're in a space where there's some cocktail piano player playing. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, or yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the music coming yeah. through on the whatever. <laughs> sure. And so that's when it's okay to reference a song, I feel like. It's yeah. as if, you know, it just happened that that song's playing while you're having this conversation. Right. Uh, but those were ba- that's basically my, my thought process is just sort of to keep a mood and when Paul is just rambling when it's not in the plot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's more about having an attitude I guess okay like just you know Paul I is such a dapper gentleman yes, and, I, yeah. and I try to keep it where it's it fits that you know? I do love the moments though where either it's direct where, where you're you're somehow playing music sarcastically there are times right. when like <laughs> right. you're reacting to or setting him up for something that will make him laugh. And that really, like, again, that's like you saying, well, I'm just kind of there and I listen and I'm zen and I, you know, I do it at the right time. I mean, that's, everything you're saying is exactly what somebody should be thinking when they're doing improv, improv, like spoken improv, you know, uh, which is really fascinating to me because it's all, it's all listening. Otherwise you're doing shit, you know, right. like it's, you only interject when it's absolutely necessary and finding those, that's what's fascinating to me because I can, I, I can maybe sing, sort of play guitar. So anybody who has that kind of skill in music, that's why I'm interested, but you're telling me things that I guess I, I should have expected to hear. It's the same kind of thing, I guess. I guess. Yeah. And what's interesting to me too, is that knowing that I could never do with what they're, I could never do it with my with words. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's right. another sort of joke that just kind of happened. We never talked about 
the fact that I would never talk <laughs> during <laughs> either of his podcasts. Right, right. And it just sort of kind of happened. And I, I like that. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, he doesn't, you know, we don't carry it to sort of the Penn and Teller level right. where, like, you really never hear <laughs> Teller talk. <laughs> right, Like, right. anywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know that he's, you know, on his own done stuff where you, like, hear his voice at all. Right. He's kind of really... Sticks to it. Well, when you have a franchise like that, you got to keep the no, integrity. Of course, of course you do. So I'm sorry, Paul, if this is ruining your thing, me even <laughs> being here speaking. Um, when did you first, when's the first time you, I mean, I guess, because when you think of punk, and if you're ignorant like I am, it seems like such a simple uh, format to play. And, so and well, it is. It, yeah. it is, right. But then you Couple go chords, from that. play them fast and loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And scream. But when okay, where does your where does your skill as a musical improviser come? I mean, classically trained or like what's your training? Not classically trained. Okay, uh, I think the improv came from just doing. I think yeah. really, the, and the thing with me and Paul came totally organically. He used to when he would when he started his show at the old Largo, mm -hmm. he would end every show by singing "Danny Boy." Okay, and he would get killed the whole first year we did it. He would always get killed. <laughs> In some weird way, usually relating to the sketch that was earlier in the show. Great, okay. So my one of my favorites was uh, Ron Lynch in like a safari outfit, and it was a callback to something in the sketch. Okay. But him suddenly popping in in his goofy deadpan safari outfit with like a little the the, the little sticky blow through that's got the blow dart, <laughs> you know. So, tis I'll be there, <laughs> and so. Every time, he'd just get killed. Ugh. And then he was kind of like, okay, I think we've done that. And then so he just used it to close the show, and then he would just talk more and more. Okay. And I remember, like, the first time, like, Flanagan coming up after goes, you guys realize that was 20 minutes. You did 20 <laughs> minutes just <laughs> saying shit. thank you for coming, and, and it was all because Paul just went off on some tangent. Yeah. And so that became the end of his show after a while. Yeah. And it was just from years of doing that. And I guess, I mean, I would improv... Now that I think about it, it's like I, you know, it's like, oh yeah, well, no, I guess I did. I I used to go home and play the piano. Okay, yeah. And I would teach myself movie score stuff or whatever. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it, I would just punk around and play around. So yeah. I, I guess a lot of it just came from that. But um, and my early piano lessons, I had a teacher who, uh, uh, much to his own sort of chagrin, I think. He taught me sort of how to improv first before I was really wow. on it with sight reading. Wow. Okay. And. Um, he kind of created a monster in that because I'm a little kid. I was a little hyper. Mm -hmm. I was the kid. It's like, stop swinging your legs. Stop swinging your legs. Focus. <laughs> and uh, But he showed me, here's how you make a chord. This is a major chord. This is a minor chord. And if you want to play songs, you can just do this. And mm -hmm. let me show you. And so he would have me start playing around with chords and he'd play stuff around it. And yeah. Oh, that's cool. And we'd, so we'd do these wow. little improv sessions. Mm -hmm. And um, then he'd try to get me back to like doing my scales and reading notes. And, I don't know. Dude, that, show me how to play the Star Wars theme. Now then, if this boy, now mind you, I says, uh, if this year boy done broke your heart last night, honey child, honey lamb, honey baby, honey doll, honey pie, is because he loved you the most of all. <laughs> The one 
one you should hurt it off. You always take the sweetest rose and crush it till the petals fall. So, so yeah, that was uh, that was. So I guess now yeah, this is all all these memories are coming back. But so I guess in a way, I was prepared for it more than I really thought. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I never really considered myself like an improviser. Sure. Just like I never considered myself on this track of comedy music at right. all, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, then you look back and go, well, duh, yeah, that's the track you were yeah, on. Yeah. I, it's the same with Spike Jones. Like he's doing this classic story of people who ever like made it big in comedy at this certain period, like Bob Newhart, eventually several years later. But like they were doing stuff for friends and family, and right. then somebody recorded it, and an executive heard about it. Not right. a thing <clears throat> I don't believe that happens much anymore, at least not after South Park. I feel like that was the last time that really happened, and then YouTube took over for that. It's yeah. not parties now. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, did you Actually, I, I'm curious. Did you ever do any like comedy stuff, that same kind of thing, comedy stuff for friends? I mean, you're doing a lot of punk shows, so I'm sure a lot of them were small. <laughs> I made a lot of, when I got handy on the four track, I would make goofy recordings Mm -hmm. that I did a lot of Um, I worked at the aquarium in San Francisco Mm -hmm. and one of the things that was happening it was you know the the dawn of the technology of the Walkman Mm -hmm. so the museum started having the tours the audio tours that you'd put on a headset and play this cassette and it would tell you here's what's in this tank so I made a fake audio tour for the aquarium that was totally goofy (laughs) and had all kinds of crazy stuff going on it and um yeah, so there was stuff like that, and I did. I would do goofy songs for people that worked there, mm-hmm. and, and one of them did have a Spike Jones thing to it, awesome. and um, just goofy stuff like that. So I did do sort of comedy recordings like that, just for friends, yeah, mostly. Yeah. And um, so I had fun doing that, you know. And it's weird to think back of like to, to it's like. How, uh, on the one hand, I had enough sight to sort of see I can't really do stand-up comedy. Right, right. But how can I have that amount of sort of uh, being able to be outside myself mm-hmm. and yet not realize, oh, I never really thought of myself as a comedy fan. You're listening to Spike Jones <laughs> and Stan Freeberg <laughs> and Lenny Bruce <laughs> and George Carlin records and you have all this stuff and yet you don't think you're a comedy fan? Really? Right, right. But I just, it was sort of like that was... Incidental, that was sort of on the side. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My main, like, music loves were obviously, you know, like, Dead Kennedys mm-hmm. and Ennio Morricone. Yeah. And all that. That was the stuff I was taking seriously. Of course, you yeah. know? That's how you become so. good at comedy, though. I mean, I feel like you need some serious, strong track. And one. I mean, I thought I was going to be a filmmaker for a long... I mean, yeah, I'm a filmmaker, but, like, I thought I was going to be, like, a straight-up, if you give me an action movie, I'll direct it. You know, that right. kind of, like... But... I mean, it took several, several years before I realized, no, uh, the, the thing that defines everything I do and love is definitely comedy. Again, after making sketch comedy albums and this and that, I love doing it, and I would have done it for a living, but it didn't ever occur to me, I don't think, for several years, you know, that that's like, oh, this is no, definitely the thing you do. And you don't know the influences either, which is interesting, because you're listening to Lenny Bruce and George Carlin. There's probably some influence on your music, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a there's a attitude that that you can get from different things. There's, mm-hmm. there's some music that has influenced me, not in its music, but in its sort of the spirit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And then George Carlin, uh, 
feel I should at least point out, did the thing also in a couple bits. Oh, uh, oh right. uh, I've, I think it's on Class Clown, if I'm not mistaken. But the <laughs> he just does it over and over again and gets the <laughs> biggest laugh, which I love. Like his audience is so innocent and sweet that they're just like, that's the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> that and they also freak out when he cracks his pinky knuckle. Which oh, right. So just wait for it. Just like, see if I can get this one. And just like it echoes through the whole room. One of my oh, favorite God. bits of all time. Yeah. Um, all right, so if you're going to recommend this album to somebody who's never heard Spike Jones before, and th- that basically was me, because uh, I'd heard enough, but I'd never heard a full album, um, what's a good reason to start here? I mean, it's a best of, so. It is, it's a really well done best of, and mm-hmm. I think it really does give you uh, a good scope of some of the funniest things there and the musicality. I mean, you got Doodles Weaver, mm-hmm. you got a callback, you got mm-hmm. you got a lot of the the. the Wonderfully dumb jokes. Yeah, um, it's got most of my favorite tracks that he ever did are all on this one record. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like it's it's the best. I, I really do think it's one of those best stuffs where you go, "This really is." Yeah. I mean, there's so much other stuff. To me, like I would recommend this, and again, that Riot Squad collection. Okay, those are two good companions. Again, Riot Squad less jokey, more just sort of. Mm-hmm. It's like you're on Disneyland Main Street with a little extra yeah, sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, not not that it doesn't have some of the pots and pans and stuff sure. going, but it's a little more um, it's a little more straight music, and the novelty the novelty dial is down a little okay. bit on that one compared right. to this record. See, that's awesome. You it, don't it, you don't get into all the sketches and stuff right. and the whole you know a minute of Peter Lorre, you know, <laughs> so crazy. which I still love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then like another thing too is like he had these sort of three phases. It seems like which was super novelty. Uh, this middle phase you're talking about, and then eventually, and I have not heard any of this, eventually his stuff turned spoken word, which is really interesting to me, and I haven't heard any of that. Oh, I don't know that stuff I want to get into it, because I feel like that would be a fun episode to do, especially when you want to compare it to this guy who's like a consummate musician, yeah. and is like, yeah, so I, I think that would be a lot of fun, and if anybody out there listening has heard that stuff, tell, tell us what we should look up and listen to. Um what do you have to promote? This is actually going to come out next week, not two weeks from now. So is there anything you want to promote? Next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Paul of Tompkins, Spontaneous Nation is a weekly Such podcast. A so and um, keep an eye on his YouTube page because mm-hmm. I think this video of me doing that Jaws medley might be coming up there for, on his Variatopia awesome. thing. So, so you can good. get a little of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Otherwise, I would love to be able to say my Fantastical Musicorium podcast is coming back, mm-hmm. but it's still coming back someday. Some, yeah, right, so right, if right. you haven't heard it, there's six episodes, and there's nothing that they're referencing that's of a, although there's a, there's a ho- there are holiday ones. There's mm-hmm. a Christmas one and a awesome. Halloween one, so when those are coming up. But uh, you could always tap into those. They're still there, out mm-hmm. there for free. So for there's free. that. See, not enough people. I mean, it's that's it's nice of you to do that. You know, it's very <laughs> nice of you to do that. I've had to, I gave away my Christmas album too, so I totally get it. But uh, that's awesome. Um, on Twitter, just uh, Schletter. Yes, E B A N S C H L E T T E R. Correct. That's right. Yay. Uh, B, not V. B is in boy. B is in boy. Just that's so correct. that everybody is clear on that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> com also. Yes. Okay. Good. Do you have a YouTube channel? I'm just going to harangue you about it. I every, do. Uh-huh. There's a YouTube channel. Uh, I think it's Civilian 1966 is the the little my little YouTube thing. Okay. Um, I think my YouTube is I, I is I barely go on there. Sure, sure. Some sure. stuff has been put up, but right, yeah. right, right. 
I think there's one actually now called the Evans Flutter channel that I might have renamed, and my wife does some of that stuff for me too. Okay, <laughs> so okay. And you should look un- up videos of Evan playing uh, the theremin because it's fascinating to me. I really, I honestly, I would take an hour to have you explain to me how a theremin works because it's fascinating. Ah, it kind of blows my freaking. It is a f- cool instrument. The quickest way to find me on YouTube doing that, you can just Google theremin Harry Potter. Because there's only one video of someone playing the Harry <laughs> Potter theme on the theremin. That's awesome. And so that you can find on YouTube. And then that would lead you to my playlist and what other stuff that I've done. That's so there. good. So, um, awesome. So, yeah, if you go to my website, com, there's also a discography. You can find the records that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the funny stuff, uh, 21st Century Doomsday Spectacular is one that's got most of the comedic-type recordings on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Thank you so much for doing this. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, you guys, go listen to some Spike Jones. Go listen to some Evan Schletter. Um, thank you for joining us. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. Smell a sense of snow, hot lead, cold feet, kashern. Ari. Yeah. Have you ever even watched this and Kane? I mean, it's still wrapped in plastic. Well, no. So you don't know if you even like it? Why did you buy this? Oh, well, I'll tell ya. Was that our movement necessary? Yes. Listen to the Why Did I Buy This podcast every other Thursday on iTunes, on WDIBT.com, or find us on StolenDress.com. And now, Mr. Evan Schletter as Spike Jones, as heard in Mr. Show with Bob and David. (laughs) 